All right, gentlemen, what type of wine would pair best with an exorcism? Hmm. Ooh, that's a great question. I think we should yield to our exorcism expert first. John, let us know. Yeah, well, I may be an exorcism expert. I'm not a wine expert. Um, in fact, I know three things about wine. Two things about wine. Let me just take one right off the plate right now. <laughs> uh, it's in, it comes in red and white, and there's a kind called Merlot. Uh, so since Merlot is the only kind that I know, I'm going to say that one. Look at John dropping that limited wine knowledge on us. <laughs> Does yours version come in a box or a bottle? I feel like box wine is the safest option for an exorcism. Are you going to want a box? You can't trust glass around a demon. That's just asking for trouble. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, I thought long and hard about this. And, you know, as many of our listeners know, I was a sommelier for, what, 15 years, you guys, 20 years, something like that. So I I kind of thought about the, you know, what kind of bouquet would I want with my, my wine during an exorcism? And I, I really got into, like, what part of the exorcism are we talking about? Are we talking about the the part where we, you know, the power of Christ compels you? Or are we talking about the pre-planning? There's a lot of intricate options that you could go with here. But to be perfectly honest, also being someone that, you know, is steeped in the knowledge of uh, the vineyard, um, I know dick all about wine. So honestly, I went with a wine cooler. Bottles and James, baby, get your ass in the car. We are doing this. I drank this much. <laughs> Mom's not going to like this. All right, that's a good one. Um, I think between the three of us, we could open up our own excised grape vineyard because I happen to know a tiny bit about wine. I've uh, been to a few vineyards myself. And the first thing I decided I needed to figure out is what wine doesn't pair with an exorcism. Now, I think a white wine is going to pair better with a seance or a conjuration. It's a little bit brisker. It's a lighter. You can keep your focus in on the seance holding hands. Um, let's say if you're going to go on a slasher rampage, you might want a nice dessert wine like a Moscato or a Gewürztraminer because I think that shot of sugar after you kill somebody will get you going again. You know, that sugar rush. Look at this bougie motherfucker here. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that's important. I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down, Mark. Exorcism to me, I think you might want something a little smoky, maybe a little earthy, something that represents the realm of fire and brimstone where the demons may come from, and they'll feel a little bit more uh, invited in with maybe a good Pinot Noir or a Cabernet Sauvignon. Peanut Noir. <laughs> yeah. Those are going to give you a nice earthy and smoky element. I, If I could, I'll just go ahead and throw out one of my favorite vineyards, Becker's from Fredericksburg, Texas. They make an excellent cab. Um, recommend their bottle of Inverno, or you can try their award-winning Chevaux Navarre from 2016 great tobacco aroma to it and that earthiness that i'm saying the demons will probably appreciate now did it win an award for best wine to pair with an exorcism is that the award that it won um let me check we've got the san francisco international wine competition uh the double gold medal at the houston international wine competition yeah oh shit double gold double gold uh, but no, no exorcism pairing awards here. But we can award that. Yeah. Priest tested, demon approved. <laughs> That's right. For your wine.
Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Welcome to another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John on this Saturday afternoon. Fellas, we're rolling into the holidays. We're pretty close to Christmas time. How are you doing? You feeling the holiday season yet? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, like 82 degrees here pretty recently, so that did not feel very festive, to be honest. Even for Texas, that's pretty hot. Uh, in December. It goes up and down here. This uh, The Texas weather is all over the map. Um, it was in the 40s, though, last week, but you're right. It did hit 80 like a couple days ago. So that was unfortunate. But, you know, uh, other than that, I'm hanging in there. Day 7 million of quarantine. I've been doing okay, too. No complaints. Um, I actually, I'm not a big Christmas guy, but I do get excited for the, the holidays because um, I love Christmas lights. So I've been excited to see those pop up everywhere. But, you know, I think this is going to be our Christmas episode. I think this will be out like right before Christmas. So happy holidays to all you hooligans out there. Enjoy it. Stay safe. As much as I know we all want to see our family. Remember, we're still in the middle of a damn pandemic if you're in the U.S. Um, So be safe. Be smart. Let's try to kick this thing in the ass so we can get the fuck back to our normal lives. So happy holidays. Uh, I have a question for uh, Garrett, if I may. Uh, as our resident holiday expert, uh, I so declare. All right, go ahead. Which of your favorite monsters do you think would be the most into Christmas? Oh, that's a damn good question. Are we talking about like, the famous monsters? Or are we talking like just horror icons in general? Horror icons in general, you know, your Jason, Freddy, Michael, Universal Classics, any of those. I feel like the bride of Frankenstein is going to put a little effort into it. Okay. So I feel like she'd decorate. I feel like Frankenstein, not going to be super thrilled about the Yule log on fire, so he's probably going to bow out. Dracula, you know, kind of keeps to himself. I feel like he's one of those, like, he's kind of curmudgeonly. He's going to be like, eh, I'm not really into this. I feel like Freddy would get down on it. Now, would he twist it to his own machinations? That's who I thought. Yeah. I feel like he's just, he just, he has the ability to get into his surroundings, enjoy what his environment is. And I feel like he'd really embrace that. Jason, I don't think he's going to give a fuck. He's going to stay at home with his mom. So true. Yeah. I, I'd say definitely Freddy or Bride of Frankenstein. Those are the two that we got to really like, you know, depend on for the holidays. I would, uh, I would concur with those. Like Dracula would be that asshole that keeps trying to trick the hot girls under the mistletoe to give him a little bit of a kiss, you know? Oh, you know, he's all rapey. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, fuck you, Drac. Keep to yourself. <laughs> Get woke, motherfucker. <laughs> All right. Will you guys watch anything you want to bring up? Any news? Anything like that? I will note that um, I believe it was Warner Brothers recently decided to release a bunch of their stuff on HBO Max. So we're going to see uh, the Kong Godzilla film uh, coming to streaming sooner than we we anticipated. So that'll be uh, pretty cool. We can finally put this matter to bed, hopefully. Who is greater? Um, well, actually, I take that back. So we finally just have like documented evidence that Kong is better than Godzilla. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, so we'll see how that goes. Um, other than that, um, theaters are still really pushing for certain releases. So I think we just got to wait from the other stuff. Uh, there was a movie that came out. I think I may have mentioned it before called Come Play. That's on uh, streaming at this time. If you haven't checked it out, it's um, it's pretty creepy. It's uh, got a bunch of kids and it's based off electronics and ghosts and it's not the scariest thing I've ever seen, but man, it's whew, it'll do it. I recommend it. I hope that by May 21st, which uh, Godzilla versus Kong is slated to come out, uh, everybody listening, please note whose name is first. 
in the title. Um, you're going to see me in the theaters if this COVID shit is handled because I want to see these two Titan Kaiju fight it out on the big screen. Uh, you know, I'm pretty happy with my 60 inch television at home, but that's not going to capture the epicness that this fight should be bringing us. So hopefully we can get back into the seats come May. I do feel like we'll see a lot of re-releases of films. I think we'll see a lot of films like Dune and stuff like that that are coming to streaming services that might also come out of the theaters at the same time, uh, depending on how what situation we're in. I do feel like we'll see a couple of these movies get re-released in the theaters to kind of have like a, a big, safe box office. We'll see. Fingers crossed. I just hope that there's still theaters uh amc said they're gonna run out of money in january so that's bad news true yeah well if the fucking senate will get off their ass and anyway not gonna get into that (laughs) there's plenty of there to get into but that's not for this show um i will bring up a couple things that i saw i watched the 1956 rodan film of the toho universe i never watched the standalone rodan before it's on HBO Max along with uh, a mini of the Godzilla show era period films. It's okay. It's not bad. Uh, it would not be my first choice. There is a good 30, 40 minutes where Rodan isn't even mentioned or brought up. Uh, we're dealing with these giant caterpillar creatures uh, in these mine shafts. And then finally we get to see Rodan's egg hatch. And then in the last 15 minutes, it turns out there's two Rodans. And then they both get burned alive by volcanic eruption when the film abruptly ends. Uh, there is a decent scene of destruction like a lot of these kaiju films have. Great miniature work and things like that. But I feel like there was just a lot of wasted potential where we could have had more of the giant pterodactyl Rodan in his own titular film. Again, it's on HBO Max though. So if you've already made it through all the other ones and you're looking for more kaiju action, that one's available but it wouldn't be my first recommendation. I also watched one that is another Shutter exclusive joined with today's that we're doing called The Pale Door. Now, this one was a cowboy-centric era horror movie with witches. And to be honest with you, I thought it was okay. Uh, the production value of it felt a little hallmarky, You know, that uh, family ABC channel feel that you can get out of films. I was picking up a little bit of that. But uh, one of the interesting things that this movie did is that the witches that are haunting this group of outlaws that had robbed a train are really animalistic. Like there's like 40 or 50 of them and they're just running through the woods almost like, like wild animals. I couldn't think of any other stories involving witches that made them really that animalistic. And I was going to see if you guys maybe had, had any experience with that type of witch rather than your cauldron-esque witches that we normally get. No, I haven't seen that. Um, I did see the trailer for this film, though, and it, it it looked like it was going to be like just campy enough to be enjoyable, but also bad enough to not be great. Um, when I started seeing like the the 30 days of night level witches, I was like, OK, I don't know if I'm super into this, but the trailer was pretty good. So I'm glad to hear that the movie wasn't garbage. Yeah, it's about half and half on kind of where you got it meets you. It meets you halfway. It's it's just a low budget production, really. Um, you know, maybe if they had some more money in it, it would have been a little bit better. But you know, being that it's on Shutter, I wouldn't steer away from it. You're not paying anything for it. I think if you're in the movie for if you're in the mood for a movie with witches, which we don't get a whole lot of, honestly, um, it's probably worth a check out. I mean, like I said, the trailer looked really good, 
and you know, I kind of I kind of approach witch movies the same way I approach werewolf movies. It's like we don't get a lot of them. So when you have the opportunity to like see one, go ahead and risk it. You never know. You might actually find something that's actually worthwhile. Yeah. Good point. Except for the craft legacy. Don't <laughs> risk it for that one. <laughs> Is that a new one, John? Is that out yet? Yes, it came out to streaming. I watched it. Um, I haven't brought it up on the podcast because I am not the audience for the craft legacy. So uh, my deep dislike for it is probably meaningless to the people who are the audience for the craft legacy, which I imagine is teenage girls. (laughs) You imagine or you know? Look, I'm old. I don't know any teenagers. So at this point, I only uh, I I don't know what teenagers are into, uh, but I imagine it's the craft legacy. Somebody get Diablo Cody on the phone. She may know. (laughs) Uh, Lastly, I just want to give another shout out to Vinegar Syndrome. I mentioned on the last episode that I may be picking up another one of their releases. I did. I picked up Spookies. That movie's amazing. I'm not going to go too much into it, but it's basically the kitchen sink of 80s films. Um, We'll probably end up throwing that on the list later on. So check out Spookies. (sighs) Okay. You sent me this film and film is being very nice. Um, This was hot garbage served on a radiator and a junked out Toyota Tercel on a fucking trash heap of horror movie. And damn it, I loved every fucking moment of it. (laughs) This movie was stupid funny um the acting like it's neil breen level bad um they they tried so hard with the special effects and i got to give it to them they did okay with the, obviously the lack of budget they have but when you have someone hold a spider to their face to act like they're being attacked um you got to stop and be like okay we've committed to this that movie i, I definitely want to talk about that at some point maybe not as an episode but Holy crap, this movie was a blast if you like really shitty 80s movies. And I don't mean shitty like super derogatory, man. I mean, it's like, you know, like those like just really dumb, campy movies. Man, this one hits every note. The guy pretending to be the werewolf on the log, that's all I'll say. But if you've seen this movie, you know exactly what scene I'm talking about. That had me keeled over laughing. I was just losing my shit. It's a lot of fun and it's by no means a good film. But if you're into bad cinema, this is going to be a highlight for you. If uh, I don't know if you got this feeling, Garrett, but while I was watching Spookies, I was like, man, this feels like two movies that just got mashed together. Turns out it was two movies that got mashed together. (laughs) So it's a beautiful, beautiful, twisted, horrible mess of just some of the best scene chewing cinema that I've seen in a long time. I mean, they straight up kill a kid in five minutes of this film. Yes, they do. Uh, just to <laughs> give a, a, a little bit away there, but I was just laughing my ass off the whole time. It's great fun. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about it sometime in the future. Uh, but today we're going to talk about anything for Jackson, a shutter exclusive. Uh, we, we threw out our holiday episode mainly because we didn't get access to the film in time. <laughs> Thank you, Shudder. We were supposed to be talking about Creepshow, uh, but they didn't send us the link. So we'll talk about another one. Um, this was kind of a, an audible, and I think none of us expected to enjoy it as much as we did. Um, I know I didn't. This movie is fucking amazing. Yeah, I, I did not. I And this is because I go in assuming any movie about an exorcism is going to be trash. I was like, all right, well, this can't be as bad as what's on Amazon Prime. 
And then within like the first 15 minutes, I was like, all right, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. This was a, this was a solid movie. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this one is brought to us uh, by writer Keith Cooper and director Justin Dick. And if you go look at these guys' IMDb page, you're going to be surprised that the majority of their work seems to be holiday Christmas movies and or those Hallmark type of movies. And I'm like, this is like the only horror movie these guys have done. And I'm fucking impressed. Uh, literally, Justin Dick has a slate of Christmas movies he's shooting right now. And I'm like, dude, where did you get the wild hair to do this fucking horror movie? Because you fucking knocked it out of the park. Yeah, director Dick did a great job. So this one stars Sheila McCarthy as Audrey Walsh, Julian Richings as Henry Walsh, Constantina Mantelos as Shannon Becker, Josh Crudus as Ian, Yannick Bisson as Rory, Lynette Ware as Detective Bellows, Claire Caballero as Talia, Scott Caballero as Colin, and Daxton William Lunn as Jackson. Currently on Rotten Tomatoes, this one's sitting at a 98% with critics out of 48 reviews, 78% with the audience. That's out of 23 user reviews. That needs to be higher for the, the audience score. I mean, normally I'm, I'm on board with audience scores, but yo, y'all are missing something because this is, this is way better than a 78. I think the critics have got it kind of nailed. Mm-hmm. Got to pump those numbers up. Well, remember, that's only saying that uh, 22% of 23 people didn't like it. So that's like, like what? Four people. <laughs> yeah. And fuck those people. So <laughs> yeah. No back of the box to read off of this one. Obviously it's a shutter release. Uh, but here's what the back of the shutter.com has to say about it. After losing their only grandson in a car accident, grief-stricken Audrey and Henry kidnap a pregnant woman with dark intentions to perform a reverse exorcism, putting little Jackson inside her unborn child. This is a Shudder original. Pretty short. Yeah, especially for Shudder, because normally their little blurbs are gibberish. Uh, but they did a good <laughs> job on this one. Please go see Kuzo. Let's, um, let, me, let, me, let me pull the mic in here real quick. Hey, Shudder. I know on a previous episode, I gave you guys a lot of shit for having just some like bare bones, garbage descriptions. I want to take this moment to say, I appreciate you stepping up your game. Lately, I have been on Shudder and every description has, even if it's been kind of short, has been very good about giving me an idea of what type of film I'm going to get myself into. So y'all stepped it up. I appreciate it. I am loving your service. I kind of jumped on just to kind of get a couple movies for this podcast. And I'll be honest. I don't see myself turning off Shutter anytime soon. So way to go, you guys. So shout out. If anybody from Shutter is listening, which I'm sure you're probably not, but um, if you are, kudos, keep it up. This is fucking awesome. Yeah, keep the horror rolling. Uh, now, John, when we first started speaking about this film before it became an episode, I had mentioned that the premise was a reverse exorcism, and the first thing you said, isn't that just a possession? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely have some uh, qualms with the phrase reverse exorcism because we already have an English word for that. But uh, I pushed through and I'm glad that I did uh, because that phrase is dumb. <laughs> so even after viewing the film, you still feel that way? I feel like they kind of got away with it. I think I think it's not quite a possession, 
um, for reasons being that they're trying to put someone else inside of another person and not so much a demon. What do you think? I understand what they're going for, but that whole premise makes it even less like a reverse exorcism because one of the main tenets of an exorcism is that it involves a demon. So if they weren't even going for a demon, they were going for a spirit. I don't know that there's a word for that. There's probably some German word, but it's definitely not a reverse exorcism. It ends up becoming that because they, I mean, spoiler, but it wouldn't be a movie otherwise. They fuck it up. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't buy that phrase. I, I kind of felt the same way. I was like, well, it's not a reverse exorcism and it's not really a, it's sort of a possession, but it's not fully a possession. But then, yeah, I was like, what would you call this? Um, uh, listeners, if you're out there and you've got a perfect word for what to call what happens in this film, hit us up, let us know, because this is going to keep me up at night until we we have an answer. It's like a, a, a summation, Ooh. a summoning of a spirit and a possession. I like I like your uh, your usage of smashing two words together. Pretty nice. Thank you. It's one of my main talents, my malins, if you will. That and wine knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> John, as our resident exorcism expert uh, on all things exorcism movie related, uh, how does this one fare against your normal viewings of these films? Oh, I mean, this is considerably better than your average exorcist or exorcism movie. This one is actually good. It is up there, you know, with like... I can't think of any off the top of my head now, but that lawyer one uh, that we did an episode on, The Possession of Molly Hartley, like generally good exorcism films, not like your uh, Amazon Prime exorcism films, which is what I expected this to be when I heard it was a Shudder original. No offense, Shudder. Most of your originals are misses. I was really worried going in, but they did well with what they had. Well, this is a Shutter exclusive. Uh, they're actually doing what Netflix is doing, where they're actually like finding projects out there, and I think they're buying the rights to. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Borat movie was being made. Um, the movie Coming to America too, which I'm very torn on the fact that they made a sequel, but I'm very excited about. That's now going to um, Am- or Hulu or ha- Amazon or Hulu. Basically, they bought the rights to that. So it's going to be on their service. Honestly, I am, I've avoided getting on my soapbox about this for a long time, but I'm getting really fucking tired of these streaming services buying movies that would normally come out that I could purchase and put in my collection and watch whenever I want, um, making them exclusive to their service. So I have to have a damn subscription to like watch these things. I get the concept. I'm just really bothered how they keep buying up projects in production to make them exclusive. So therefore now I have to have three to five streaming services just to watch certain movies. Anyway, I'll get off of it at this point, but yeah, this was a shutter exclusive. So I think they picked this up and just basically made it exclusive to their, uh, their site as opposed to them making it an original where they, they funded it themselves. Fair enough. Maybe that explains why it's so good. I can I can definitely agree with your sentiment there, Garrett. I think I think in in for any for movies the size of anything for Jackson, complete unknowns, right? I think this is a good way for them to get attention. But if you're talking about big movies like Borat and and um, Coming to America too, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, there's another example that uh, came to light recently with the news of HBO Max taking all of the Warner Brother movies and putting them on the service, uh, it was revealed that Netflix tried to buy Godzilla versus Kong to be exclusive 
on Netflix for $250 million. That doesn't sound like enough money. Yeah. If you think like a smash blockbuster movie these days makes like, you know, five, six, seven hundred, a billion dollars. I don't know if Kong vs. Godzilla would get to the that level, but I think it's going to surpass 250 million. That feels like Netflix really lowballed it. Well, I think Netflix is just buying the streaming rights. They're not actually buying ownership. They're not trying to like... I don't think that that, that deal was ownership. I think it was just streaming rights because that was still going to come out on iTunes as purchasable. Oh, uh, okay. Kind of like how HBO Max bought all the um, mm-hmm. the Adult Swim stuff. So it's all on there. They don't own the rights to that. They just own the streaming rights. So, um, But I think there's like some parent companies that own the umbrella now. But anyway, God, fucking so complicated. Yeah, I think it's all owned by Warner Brothers. And actually, I don't know if Warner Brothers is owned by somebody, but I think... AT&T. Oh. AT&T owns uh, Warner Brothers because they also own DC Comics now. uh, Because they try to put... They try to squash some DC Comics stuff, which I'm not thrilled about. But anyway, God, the fucking legal aspect of media is just a mess. DC Comics. Can can I just... uh, I'm going to really take us off the rails here. So I signed up for Marvel Unlimited and the DC Comics version of that. And I got to tell you... DC Comics really needs to step their game up because their service is trash compared to Marvel Unlimited. Welcome back to Comics Talk with Garrett and John. Uh, (laughs) DC actually was really kind of slow to get on the digital code stuff, and they still don't even do do digital codes across the board. Like Marvel books, if you buy a Marvel comic, you get a free digital code to add to your digital collection um, for most books. And then a lot of that stuff hits the uh, the unlimited app as uh, time goes on. Um, DC still to this day is very. I don't know if they do it yet, or but a lot of their stuff is they don't offer codes. Mm-hmm. Like you can buy their stuff digitally, but you don't get a free code with your your book. So DC's always been very slow to pick up on the whole digital market and properly embrace that. Now they do put their stuff out on you know Comicsology and things like that on time. But yeah, they've always been a little bit behind the curve on that. Yeah, I'm talking like they don't have a lot of their own back catalog, and I don't know what the rights situation is there. But like, you know, I was looking um, for the Killing Joke wasn't on there. Like, they actually, to be clear, they have no tr- of none of their trade paperbacks on the DC Universe or whatever they call it. So if you're looking for that, don't sign up for that service. Mm, good to know. But back to movie talk. <laughs> but back to anything for Jackson. I think that's going to be the catchphrase for this movie, for this uh, this episode. <laughs> All right, listeners. Well, before we jump into this fully, we just want to say up front that this is a new film. So if you're looking forward to it and want to be spoiler free, go watch it and then come back and listen to us dissect it. Um, it's a great film. Highly recommended, I think, from all three of us. So just to get that out of the way, check this movie out. Yeah, there's no Shyamalan type twist, but there's a lot of um, things that happen in this movie that not knowing that they're going to happen really does uh, accentuate and add to the moment. So um, this is, you know, this is one of the few ones I will say, definitely try to watch it before you you listen to this episode. But then be sure to come back and listen to the episode because damn it, we need those listens. <laughs> How else are we going to get sponsored by Shudder or Alamo Drafthouse Chicken Strips? or um, DC Comics. Or Becker's Wine Vineyard. (laughs) Or any of the other sponsors who don't know that we exist. 15 bucks, little man. Put that shit in my hand. Let's get into the plot if you guys are ready, because this started up with the uh, the two old old couple at the beginning um, just kind of doing their thing. The wife is cooking in the kitchen. It's this like kind of like wide shot um, of their kitchen and dining room. 
and the old man's at the uh, the table. And what are their names before I just call them old man and old lady for the rest of the episode? Audrey and Henry. Okay, Audrey and Henry. And they're just kind of, you know, having like polite conversation. And then out of nowhere, like at like the two minute mark, if even that, um, she's like, all right, get ready. Here she comes or here, here they come. And bam, within the first three minutes, we've already got a full on abduction of a pregnant woman. That hit me out of nowhere. Yeah. And I can't, I think one of the main best parts of this movie that gives it all of its charm are the characters of Audrey and Henry and the exceptional work that those actors uh, do playing those characters. Cause I mean, they are superficially this, like this sweet older couple, like you look at them and you'd see them interact and be like, man, I wish those are my grandparents. Um, and they're taking that same real, just grandparently charm and applying it to this horrendous situation. And it works so well. The way that this movie plays itself is almost like a straight, um, it, it, you, you would be uh, forgiven if you just kind of jumped into this without seeing the um, abduction portion happen and not realize you're watching a horror movie, right? I mean, it feels almost like this could be on uh, any other regular channel outside of the horrors. Yeah. I, I, I have a question for y'all I'm still struggling with. Is this movie comedic? Because it feels like a almost like a black comedy, but it's not. There's no jokes. But the situation, I guess, you know, besides its horribleness, but how they frame it, I don't know. Some of it felt funny. I definitely think it had moments that were supposed to be humorous to provide levity at at the time. Um, the the uh, the cop thing that happens at the end had me laughing every time it went down, and we'll get into that. But. Um, I, I don't know. I think I think this happens a lot with horror films. And this is just my personal take. I think that when we do have moments of, you know, comedy or levity that is the very humorous, we we like to throw that whole like horror comedy or that black comedy, you know, kind of um, label on it. I don't know if this is that. I think it just had moments that were humorous. But this movie feels like it's played very, very straight, like very um, to what Mark said, like an abduction film. And it just happened to have elements of X, Y, and Z, at least until the end when it becomes very horror specific. But um, right, yeah, I just I just think it just had funny moments. As a, I don't think it was actually I don't think it was supposed to be built as a comedy, at least in my opinion. But like, as opposed to like a regular abduction film where it's so tense, like I don't know, everything in this movie is until the end, which is what makes I think the end so effective, is so like almost subdued. It's like for the first two thirds of it, it is a very I mean, there's periods, but it's mostly a very subtle and subdued film. John, I think I can see what you're getting at. And I think you think the movie is trying to take you to a punchline, but never actually delivers the punchline. Oh, that's a good way of putting it, dude. Mm -hmm. That's a good way of putting it. Like, for instance, the, the guy who's coming to shovel the snow. You know what I mean? Like, he felt like he could have been the comedy punchline here and there. And instead, he just comes out as kind of this pathetic character um, overall. Like he shows up and he's starting to really um, distract Henry and Audrey from their their grand scheme here. And they're like, oh, no, we have to deal with this idiot. And he's not listening. And he still just wants to be in front of our house and make noise. And we're trying to avoid attention and things like that. And yeah, so I think I, I get what you're saying, John. Um, it definitely felt like it could have gone that way if the director and writer wanted it to. Yeah, I think that is, it really walks that line. I'd agree with that. And you kind of get that feeling right 
to Garrett's point, like in the opening scene where it's juxtaposed with this really sweet conversation, just actually not even sweet, just sort of banal conversation, and then pregnant woman getting abducted. Yeah, but this movie hits its its stride. Like, I mean, that's the thing is when it first started, I was like, oh no, you guys got me a slow ass exorcism movie. I'm not going to, and then I was like, oh, abduction, okay. And then this, this movie does a great job. Um, John, it's a tight one minute and 37 minutes. So I know you appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, this movie does not feel long. In fact, I wish it went a little longer. I could have spent more time with these characters. <laughs> I made a joke as we were watching it. Like, like I paused it real quick to see how long it was. And I was like, oh, an hour and 30. That's a tight John. And I was like, that sounds inappropriate. <laughs> I was like, but I, I immediately thought, I was like, oh, this is in a John time frame. Nice. Um, but no, the, the this movie, we talk about pacing a lot. And I think pacing is one of the biggest things for horror films with me is, you know, if, if it just lacks at places, it can just ruin a film. Um, but this one did an amazing job of just continuing to ratchet up tension, keep a steady pace, at no point did I ever feel like we were lagging um, or meant to to take a... Even the breathers were developing and pushing the plot forward at a, a very heavy click, which I thought that... Man, Chris Dick and um, whatever Cody, Cordy... Close. Justin, Justin Dick and Keith Cooper. <laughs> okay, those guys. Um, the house was actually Keith Cooper's house. Uh, interesting to know. Um those guys just did a phenomenal job of writing this story out. So kudos to them. But now I have to ask real quick, John, the sidebar of this, the exorcism part of this, did you find it to be as intense as other exorcism movies? Did you find that to be as effective as other exorcism movies? In the start, no. But the final one, like the the closing where everything goes off the rails. Yeah, I mean, that was very, very well done. The initial parts, though, no, it was, it was subdued. Uh, it was cool when they did it with the raven, though. I thought that was dope. I like that scene because she was so proud of herself. Oh, when she brings the crow back to life? Yeah, the crow. So Henry is a practicing doctor, right? And they've targeted this woman who uh, is having a baby. Uh, her character's name, I believe, was Shannon. And they had planned it out that they were going to take somebody that maybe was uh, not as connected to her family life, maybe was a little hesitant to be a mother in the first place. And, you know, through regular checkups, they deemed Shannon to be the one that they were going to take in and they were going to strap her to a bed. And then, as we've said, a reverse exorcism is going to take place because they had some tragedy occur where they lost their grandson. His name is Jackson. As this movie progresses, you're going to find out that Shannon actually wants to keep the baby. She's learning to come to grips with this uh, motherhood that she's been faced with. And ultimately, as any woman or person would ever be disgusted by the idea of having a reverse exorcism perform, she ain't on board with it. But the whole process of getting this into place, maybe you guys can help me out because I've already forgotten. Like One of the things about this movie that it brings in, it's, it kind of sprinkles in a little bit of the evil deadness where they have their own version of the Necronomicon. And it's like this ratty old tattered book with all these incantations in it. Where did they get this book? Did I miss this part? Yeah, he talks about it. So this book is basically like different pages and text from all these different books throughout history and society. Um, it's kind of like the the collection of all the the evil shit put into one book. They have a what I first I thought was going to be a satanic book club. <laughs> yeah. So Audrey and uh, Henry go to this like 
uh, satanic little group that they they perform, you know, incantations and stuff at at the community center. And they're part of that. And through that, they they know a couple people there. Uh, One of them is Ian, who will come back into the story later. This dude's like real quiet and weird. I mean, think like creepy satanic incel. Um, And he is like, you know, like, hey, I found that book you wanted, blah, 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 blah. And so through that group, they're trying to find this this book. And it's revealed later on, um, Henry tells Ian that he had to fly to, was it Israel, John? He, he flew to Israel and he bought it off a... Yeah, he ended up in like Jerusalem or somewhere like that. Yeah, and he bought it off a guy and he's like, how much did it cost? And he's like, let's just put it this way. We don't have a retirement anymore. And that's how he got it. Okay. So the Dr. Henry actually flew to Israel and picked it up himself. Yeah. Which now when he flew back, do you think he checked it or was that a carry on? Oh, that's a carry on, baby. <laughs> yeah. You don't check that stuff. You keep that on your personage. Okay. So the satanic group, Garrett, that brings me to a question. I was like, do you think that they joined this club after the death of their grandson or were they always a member? Uh, after. Audrey says multiple times that like, you know, like, uh, well, she, she alludes to it a couple different times and then says like, you know, like. I, until you lost a child, you just don't know what you'd be willing to do to to recover, you know, to to deal with this loss. And um, it, she makes it clear that they started. She started looking for anything and everything. So it becomes kind of you know clear that this path was discovered on her on her journey to try to find a solution or fix to what happened to Jackson. I wonder if they went through all the other options, like maybe the good side of the realm and rather than just going straight to the satanist side well there's nothing on the good side that's going to help them the good side would say jackson's in a better place now chill out when y'all pass you'll meet him again uh assuming you know you don't fuck around with demons and end up in hell so uh the the good path got nothing to offer them uh they probably you know quick google search and we're like nothing here and boom <laughs> sh- shot off to the uh to the dark side, if you will. Well, as a doctor, do you think he tried to uh, look at a cloning? You know, do you think that was an option as well? Or do you think they just went like straight to Satanism? Oh, cloning. I didn't think about cloning. That would have been a very different movie. Uh, but, you know, he's not that kind of doctor. He's an OBGYN. I don't think they're uh, experts in the cloning field. Also, he seemed old fashioned. So, uh, yeah, he definitely was. I think he's, uh, I, th- I think he went straight to Satan. <laughs> straight to Satan. Yeah. You know, as, as one does, that's your first stop after any tragedy. So John, out of the hundreds of these movies you've seen, has there ever been one that goes right? I mean, I, or less, not just exorcism in particular, but anybody that ever starts mucking around with the occult, um, or Satanist texts, it's never a good thing. I don't know why they would think this is the correct path. This will get us him back and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Here's the thing, Mark. Uh, it's uh, biased data. They're not going to tell you any stories about the good, right? That's not exciting. Yeah, we exercised a demon and it went perfectly fine. Worked on the first exorcism. Nobody died. Uh, so that's that's my, maybe they think like, oh, ours is the one that's going to work. We're going to be the untold success story. Because no, out of the yeah hundreds of these that I've seen, someone always dies. There's always death. And in fact, if you know anything about a cult, there has to be a sacrifice. And they don't just mean a crow. Uh, people are dying. Human sacrifice. And Ian knows that right away. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
So they've they've uh, retrofitted their house to have soundproof rooming, um, so no one can hear Shannon screaming as she's uh, you know in captivity. That was such a great scene when they were testing that. So they had Shannon, and he just let her scream and scream and scream. And Henry goes outside and he calls. You know, Audrey's like, "No, we can't hear anything. Nope, not a peep." Uh, it's like, see, I I like to see this kind of testing. This is fixing up some of the plot holes. That was so well written that I, A, I didn't see it coming. And for something as mundane as that detail, it completely closes like two plot holes, but it also increases the tension of the moment. And I was like, okay. At that point, I was completely on board for this movie. I was like, okay, someone's put some thought into the backstory of this narrative. The writing of that was so well done, too, because they've got her. This is like right after they've abducted her. Like we're talking within like an hour of her being abducted and... and um handcuffed to this bed she is fully restrained they sit down in front of her and give her like the audrey has written down her monologue and it's like we thank you for your time uh we plan this out like it's just like she's she's got like a ted talk intro that she's giving this woman about exactly what's going to going to happen and um i really appreciated the way she played that and uh sheila mccarthy's delivery of telling uh shannon like hey look you can keep screaming all you want Nobody's going to hear you, dear. It's very motherly, uh, the way that she's interacting with her captive. I really like the fact that they're not scary people. Uh, she, uh, Audrey and, and Henry are, yeah, like you said, motherly, and like, but they're so committed to this very evil act. Just makes it like all the more creepy that like, man, these, these two people could be your neighbors, you know? You'd be like, hey, what's up? Yeah, they're so nice. You know, they always bake cookies or whatever. And, you know, they captured and are going to do some horrible things to this pregnant woman at the same time. It's so crazy. Yeah, the next time you go to the doctor's office, just start ruminating on all the satanic shit that your physician is doing True. that you don't even know about. All doctors are satanists. Everybody knows that. <laughs> and I do love the uh, the first time we see him at his office and we, we get the idea that he does do uh, things associated with like, you know, uh, sex and babies and things like that. It's like one of his patients runs in and it's like, I've got to see the doctor right now. I'm not saying it's HPV, but it might be HPV. And he starts flinging papers. And he's like, I got to cut in front of you. That dude, like going from zero to 10 in like five seconds about needing to get an STD test was so hilarious to me because I was just like, yo, calm down, my man. I was like, I get it. But that was really good to also see how Henry uh, reacts in stressful situations. So we got a really good idea that Henry is... He's really good at handling situations, but uh, through the rest of the movie, we we very easily find out that Audrey, the grandmother, is the mastermind behind this plot. Um, and later on, there is a line where Henry's like, sometimes you just have to let them do what they're going to do and go along with it. Henry's just kind of along for the ride, which I thought made the scenes when things started going like tits up, like even more intense for me when it was happening to Henry, because I was just like, oh, this poor guy. <laughs> Like he got suckered into this so bad. Yeah, it's 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 strange to be a little sympathetic towards kidnappers. But you're right. Like the the way that they play these characters is just like totally like people off the street. And you're right, Gary. No matter how well laid out this plan is, once sh shit starts to go sideways for them, uh, when Detective Bellows is introduced, she starts looking into the disappearance of Shannon. Henry starts to fumble a little bit, doesn't he? Yep. Yeah. Well, he fumbles 
mistake number one is when that uh, STD person comes in because he's like, all right, I'll see you right now. And, and his receptionist is like, oh, no, you have Shannon Becker. She's like, oh, she's not going to be here. She called. Uh, and the receptionist is like, no, she didn't call. Uh, and now Henry's scrambling, right? He's like, oh, I uh, I saw her on the on the way in. Uh, it doesn't matter, whatever. Come on, STD guy. Uh, but then, you know, not uh, two days later, this detective comes and that bites him in the ass. Yeah, but the uh, receptionist did cover for him, which I thought was, I was like, what's her game in all this? Like, what is she getting out of this? Because she did kind of help the lie to get Henry back on track to kind of cover his tracks, even though it didn't work. At that point, Bellows was very much, um, Henry was a suspect at that point. But um, right before before that, I, I did love when they first tried to, um, they're testing to see if, if they can use this Necronomicon type book um, to see if it's going to work. And they cut their hands and they, they put some blood on her and they've got her like IV'd up Shannon in the bed. And then they're reading this thing. And it's funny because like, they're kind of doing it the best they can. I was like, this movie is like the equivalent of watching your grandparents try to like program the VCR. <laughs> and you kind of feel like you feel a little bit bad for them. You're like, I want to help. But you're also like, no, nah, you guys got this. Like, <laughs> So it was like this great moment of like watching them try to do this, like um, this satanic ritual. And I'm like, yeah, good for you. And like, oh, no, no, you got to hit the reset button. Henry, the pregnant lady keeps blinking zero, zero, colon, zero, zero. (laughs) (laughs) But I think uh, they did a really good job of capturing that to really show us that they were amateurs. And later on, when Ian pops up again, um, he calls him out on that. He's like, y'all are dicking around with shit you were not ready to deal with. The discovery that this stuff is actually working is also an uh, an aspect I enjoyed. Uh, you know, Audrey resurrecting that dead crow and being like, "Oh my god, it works! This is going to all work out for the best." And it's like, mm, I don't think so, but I appreciate your optimism here. Well, well, Henry reacts that way. He's like, "Oh my god, it works!" And she's like, "I've been doing this all morning." He's like, "What?" And I was <laughs> like, "Yo, what town do they live in where they're just like dead animals everywhere?" She's like, "I'm just gonna go around reviving everything." <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And I like like there's a scene right after they do you know the scene Mark was talking about where they actually do the ritual and they fumble through it and then they go out to drink coffee and their yard is just filled with crows. And Audrey's like, do you think this is because of what we did? And Henry's just like, yeah, this is because of what we did. Uh, and I totally like that scene, too. It was just such a little cutaway scene, but it added so much character. He wants to reply with a fucking course it is, you idiot. But like he's being very nice to her still. And it's just like, yep. <laughs> right. As Mark mentioned, there is a character named Rory who basically sweeps their their driveway. It's It's up north somewhere. This is filmed in Canada, but I think it's supposed to take place in the States. Because when they're talking about abortion earlier in the movie, he mentions like, oh, if you go to a different state, it's legal there. But Rory is there to um, sweep the driveway. And at the very beginning, Henry's like, oh, no, we're good. We don't need this for a while. Um, And then he calls Rory's wife to let him know like, hey, we don't need Rory to come do this because they're trying to keep a low profile. Yeah. And to me, this is like nitpick number one, though, because we know that the room is soundproof. It would have been less weird if they just let the guy plow the snow and move on with his life okay like we said that too because like he's like he's like oh no no you don't have to do this you can go away you know like he's trying to like keep rory away just in case um 
just in case some sound comes out for some whatever reason. And I was like, oh, that's kind of smart. But then later on, uh, Rory comes back and he's like, oh, I haven't been home. Me and my wife aren't talking. A mistake was made. And you think that Rory cheated and got kicked out of the house. But you find out he hasn't been there in a couple months. Um, He's like, I'm going to give you a freebie. Don't worry about it. I'm going to give you a freebie. He has a snow machine that is like as loud as a fucking lawnmower. And I was like... (laughs) Bro, he's using this thing. He couldn't hear shit even if he wanted to. It's like, to John's point, it's now more conspicuous that he wouldn't let him use this loud ass machine to get the snow out of the way. Because there's no way he could, Rory could have heard anything with that machine on. Mm-mm. But um, that does lead up to the point where he's like, okay, shit. You know, Henry's like telling Audrey, he's like, he's insisting on doing it. And she's like, you got to get him out of here. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And at this point, there's been some, some scary things that have been happening. Because the first time they try to test out the incantation, a giant demon appears in the process. I don't know about you guys, but that thing freaked me the fuck out. The giant like bird skull demon thing. Holy crap, that messed me up. There's like three main demons that I think we see, right? There's the there's that dude who is terrifying. Then in a little bit, we come across this like contortionist demon with a bag on his head. That shit actually was, I was like, damn, this is one of the best monsters I've seen in a while. I was very uncomfortable with that particular demon. And then the flossing one, that also fucked me up. (laughs) Oh, that was my favorite one, man. And when they introduced that character, just watching the teeth fall on the ground one by one. Oof, man. That was was some good shit right there. Yeah. um, So once they've done, um, to kind of test out the Necronomicon, can we can we put Jackson inside of? Oh, and to point out also, uh, when Shannon is first brought into this room and abducted, she sees a small child playing in the room, and she's like, "Who is that?" And then the grandmother Audrey is like, "Oh my God, you can see him. That's Jackson." Well, Jackson's dead. So the fact that like Shannon can see this dead kid, um, basically, they're like, "This bodes well for us," you know. This is definitely the vessel we want to use. So we're already getting hints that like we're seeing things that are spiritual or not really there. I don't believe that was Jackson, by the way. I believe that was a demon tricking everybody. Uh, This might be me bringing a lot of baggage in from other Exorcist movies, but you can't trust demons. They're going to show you whatever it is you want to see. And they want to see Jackson. So I don't believe that was actually Jackson. I think it was a manifestation of whatever evil entities are trying to get through this doorway. That's interesting because I did think it was Jackson because of what happens at the very end in the window, which we'll get into in a minute. But let me um, let me loop back around on this, uh, because once they test that out, then we start to see um, like Henry wakes up from being in bed and he sees um, Audrey over there at the mirror looks like brushing her teeth or something like that. And he's all like, hey, Audrey, blah, 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 blah. And then Audrey calls his cell phone. I was like, hey, I'm outside. Can you help me with the groceries? And he's like, what the fuck? And that's when this demon, which looks like Audrey, and she's flossing her teeth and she's like flossing into her gums and the teeth are falling to the ground and like plinking across the floor. And then she starts like walking towards Henry. He loses his goddamn mind. So that demon comes up later on when um, Shannon... The, uh, the captive is trying to get out. She's she's almost found a way to get out of her restraints. Um, she looks over the edge of the bed, and as you guys mentioned, there's um, this contortionist gentleman. Um, it's the same guy from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, the guy who played um, that monster at the end of that 
as also the Baba Yaga and the new Hellboy. Um, that guy gets around. He's a really famous contortionist. Um, yeah, he's got like a plastic bag over his head and he's like screaming and sucking air into it. So like, and he's like contorting all over. So at this point, we know there's like full on and demon invasion. We later find out through the plot that they only did half the incantation. So what they've done is they've opened the door. So different demons and, and malevolent spirits are now trying to get into Shannon's baby to get the fuck out of wherever the wherever they are. Don't go mucking around with shit you don't know about. You get the experts in to do it. And clearly that was Ian. Yes. Should have started with him from the get go. <laughs> so they, they know it works <laughs> and they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to plan to, we're going to plan to go ahead and complete this at some point. Um, Cause they mentioned that Henry had mentioned the book to Ian trying to find this book when, when they were first looking for it. Ian's like, Hey, I think I may have found a guy that knows where this book is. And he's like, Oh no, we're good. Thanks. So like from here out, shit gets crazy. Yeah. Pretty much. There's no turning back at this point. Everything that's happening is just nonstop balls to the wall, like ghost shit. Um, Rory's doing the freebie of the snow blowing of the, uh, the snow and then just turns his head and waves and then plows his fucking body into the, the like what look like a Fargo tree shredder. Yeah. So like Audrey and Henry are like, they're just whispering. They're like, do you think it worked? Is Jonathan in there? Like, yeah. And Rory's like, yeah, it worked. Jonathan's in there. And he waves at them. And yeah, he just shoves his head in the fucking snowblower. It was so unexpected. And it was so different than anything that had happened in this movie so far. I mean, I hope you watched it before listening to us because the way that that hits when you see it in person is exceptional. It is really well done. Yeah, it shoots blood across the white snow and then a tooth shoots across the 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 yard and in, embeds itself into a window that they're looking out of. And I was like, oh my God, that is creepy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, definitely a great kill. Watching that white snow getting sprayed out of the machine turn red. You're just like, holy shit. And, but this movie made me wonder, you know, because up to this point, we're seeing a lot of hauntings occur. Um, a lot of stuff seems to be happening inside their own minds from time to time where one person sees something and the other didn't. I didn't know if that dude Rory actually did this until later we see Henry go and bury Rory's body in the woods. Okay, let's talk about that job that Henry did. I'm not saying Henry's got to be a, a professional, like, body hider. <laughs> professional body hider. <laughs> but he's, like, literally on the edge of the road and buries him, like, and he buries him, like, three inches deep. And I was like, come on, man, you got to do better than this. Even the professional body hider's got to start somewhere. <laughs> You start out with leaving the feet and boots hanging out of the ground and the hands sticking out and be like, well, that's good enough. I'll get better as time goes along. Um, and it's at that time that he gets a phone call mm -hmm. from Detective Bellows, right? She's like, hey, we need to talk about the missing persons, Shannon. And he's like, oh, great. Uh, what do you what, what have you found out about it? And she's like, I don't I'm not at liberty to talk to you about this case, sir. And I was like, oh, damn, that's a smackdown if I ever heard one. And she's like, well, you know, I, I would really like to meet with you in person. It's, you know, timing of these certain matters are of the utmost importance. By the way, I'm in your neighborhood. And he's like, oh, great. Okay, I'm out. I'll be home in an hour. And then he just screams in frustration in the woods. And I was like, man, I feel you, brother. When it rains, it pours. Exactly. This is a part of the territory you're going to have to deal with when you start trying to bring dead kids back in via Satanism. Yeah, you got to you got to know when you dabble. But you're really starting to see those cracks appear in his in the facade of like, you know, we, we got this on lock. 
You don't got this on lock, Henry. No. Situation's spiraling out of control. So he races home, and the detective's already there, and he sees Audrey, and he's like, I'm so sorry, I tried to keep her, whatever. And it turns out and the detective had seen Shannon and has Audrey handcuffed, and he's trying to get Henry handcuffed. And Shannon's like, let me out of here. Just let me out. Unhandcuff me. Free me, please. And the detective looks at her and he's like, yeah, hold on. I just have to do one thing. And then fucking shoots herself in the head. And that was another shocker I did not see coming. Yeah, that scene plays out like, you know, like as as John said, you know, the cop is already in the house because when Henry gets there, you know, you see the, the cop's car. She's trying to calm Shannon down, like, don't worry, I'll get you out of here. I just have to do one thing. And then, as you said, she shoots herself in the head. And then she's like under the chin, straight up through the head, mm-hmm. blows her fucking head open, and blood splatters on the wall. That was probably the most shocking non-horror thing I saw in this movie. Like, when that happened, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was like, what the fuck? But at this point, you get this, it's solidified that anything that happens in this house is now tainted by demons or or evil, uh, evil presences. And I have a quick question for our uh, exorcism expert, John. Mm-hmm. This movie has now demonstrated that the demonic power and influence that can be um, applied to individuals is so strong that they'll take their own lives. Now, is that something that's common in these type of movies? No. We're talking about a cop and a snowblower guy who have really no interaction with this demon realm. You know, this is all Henry and Audrey's uh, doing at this point. I think maybe they would be under an influence to do something crazy like this, but random strangers coming in? It's not impossible, but normally it's for people who spent a long time, like just being on the premise for like an hour. It's not normally enough. Like what you generally see are people... Like the demons will show them visions or, you know, they have the ability to influence what they see and hear, like sensory things, but like actually just outright controlling other people's actions. That's pretty rare in these kind of movies. Normally, either like the demon does the killing or it tricks the person into doing it themselves, but not like outright just possessing them essentially and doing it for them. You don't really see that a lot, so... Kudos on something semi-unique. I don't think it possessed them. I think this the evil in the house like made them do it, you know? Like, hey, blow your head off. And it was like, okay, bam. Like, I don't think it possessed them. Yeah, like mind control or something like that. That's, uh, yeah, that's probably more likely what it was. Yeah. But uh, still pretty, pretty strange in an exorcism movie. That's really heavy suggestive powers, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I, I thought that was really good, though, because like in exorcism movies, you always feel so safe except for the captive, you know, or the person who's possessed. And in this, it was like anything in that house is now at risk. And that really put me on edge. And I think they did a really good job of Mm -hmm. not knowing who or what I could trust at that point, because you never know what, because I mean, she shoots herself in a second. Like you do not see it coming in any form or fashion. And um, as we mentioned, kind of to a, a joke later on, so after this point, um, there's a knock on the door and <laughs> it's so crazy because they're like, what the fuck? Oh, well, first, um, Henry takes the cop's body and buries it next to, uh, Rory's body out in the woods. Then he comes back, there's a knock on the door and it's, um, Ian and Ian's like, you've got the book, don't you? 
And they're like, uh, yeah. They instantly trust Ian with this because he's part of their satanic cult. And I, I think by now, though, they're also like, you know what? This is way past our... Uh, we have tried to program the VCR and we, we blew out power to the block. <laughs> uh, we need to get a, an assistant in here. Get the geek squad on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I will say this. Right before this happens... I don't know if you guys caught it. And for all the listeners of the show, this movie has the greatest line ever written in a horror film because they're outside talking. This is back when they first see the the murder of crows in their yard. And he's like, she's like, do you think it's because of us? And he's like, yep. And he goes, don't worry. We'll get Jackson and then we'll burn this damn house to the ground, ghosts and all. And I was like, <laughs> yes, there it is. I was like, this motherfucker gets it. Like, he's like, fuck these ghosts. We're going to burn this shit to the ground. I was so happy. Like, I was like, like my arms were pumping and I was cheering in the, like my, my living room. I was like, yes, Henry, you fucking go, man. I was so excited. I thought it was going to be because this movie's full of great lines, right? So after the detective kills them herself, she pops up constantly and shoots herself over and over again, which at first was shocking. But nitpick number two for this movie is it gets played out because they do it too many times. But that's the joke. Well, they don't even show every uh, they don't they don't show it all the time. They they hint at it when Ian comes back or and he's like, hey, that cop just shot herself. And like, oh, she's been doing that all night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but my favorite part of this whole movie is the first time it happens. Shannon goes, I hope that happens to you the rest of your life. I was like, damn, that's brutal. <laughs> oh, yeah, but warranted. And we haven't mentioned in this at this point, you know, all this stuff. Henry and Audrey are are hanging on, trying to make this thing, you know, get to completion. They're dealing with the uh, the challenges that have popped up. Ian has now popped up and he now knows they have the book. He's seen um, Shannon captive and he's like, OK, you guys fucked up. Ian's like, okay, I'll help you guys. I'll help you guys finish this thing because you summoned, they're like, oh, we did this one right here with this guy. He's, it says that he can bring back spirits. And he's like, that's Surgot. And I was like, Surgot, the fresh maker. <laughs> you, you find out that Surgot is the demon that they've, they've summoned. And he's the one that opens the door to, uh, you know, the evil realm where all these, you know, malevolent spirits and stuff are. And so he's like, you only did it halfway. You have to finish this, blah, blah, blah. I can help you. And they're like, cool, help us. And then, you know, he's like, I want the book and I want 10 grand. And they're like, done. Throughout the movie, Audrey and um, Shannon have been talking and Shannon's been trying to slowly play on Audrey's emotions and her logic to try to like help keep her alive. You know, like, hey, you know, don't kill me. I'll, I'll raise the baby as your daughter because she knows that the daughter killed herself after she lost Jackson. Yeah, I like her logic, though. I do. She's like, listen, y'all are fucking old. You're going to need someone to raise this kid when y'all die, right? Uh, I could be that somebody. I was like, all right, I see where you're going with this, Shannon. Yeah, it was really smart. She's been trying to like earn the trust of Audrey. At the same time, she's found a way to get her hand out of the restraint, uh, out of the handcuff, because Audrey makes her like little like handcuff cozies. <laughs> to make it more comfortable with those it's loosened the uh, the grip on it shannon can get one of her hands out so she breaks this glass of water hides a piece of glass under her pillow and then puts her hand back to the handcuff so now ian is back ian and henry are setting up the uh the incantations they've like done a line of salt which is standard practice for exorcism movies i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you a pro tip here you go listeners hear me out 
use two lines of salt. <laughs> two. I don't. Salt is cheap. You can fucking buy it by the ton. Uh, you don't need to put a really shitty, super thin line. Uh, defense in depth. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, make the line make the line a foot thick. You know, you don't have to do is like a little like you know half inch line of salt. Do it a foot thick. Yeah, I, I, in exorcism movies, salt is uh, non-existent. It's very rare, very hard to get. Apparently, so <laughs> it's traded on the stock exchange. It's a good commodity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ian's like, okay, let's put the salt down. Do not disturb this line because this will protect us from the spirits that are trying to get in. Um, I'm going to help you out. At this point, Shannon has that piece of glass underneath her pillow. Audrey and Henry are like, okay, cool. It's time. Let's get Jackson. Let's do this motherfucker. This I did love. At this point, Ian has like kind of gone off base. Like you see him in the scene before about to leave to come over to Henry's house and his mom's like, do you want any food? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, mom, leave me alone. Listening to like heavy death metal in his basement, you know, reading these books and stuff like that. Typical cliche Satanist. Am I right? Yeah. He's over at the house. He cuts crosses on the bottom of his feet barefoot. So when he walks across the floor to the pentagram that's been painted on the floor, he leaves like upside down crosses on the the ground. So Ian is fully committed to doing this ritual. Yeah. And we do find out in like right before the ritual, one of their other Satanist friends calls Henry and is like, dude, did you hear about Ian? Like he fucking killed his mom. And Henry is like, oh, God damn it. I am way over my head yet again. So shit's really like the dominoes are starting to fall, right? He knows he needs Ian, but Ian, like Garrett has said, is uh, he's in he's left planet Earth. Uh, he is totally committed to, to doing evilness. Exactly. And so, um, Mark, I, I have a question for you because, you know, we asked John his opinion on exorcism stuff quite a bit. What do you, what do you think about exorcism? Like scenes, like the final, like stuff, like in the, the end of exorcist three, we had that crazy scene where like he goes up to the roof and his back like rips open and shit like that. And then we have like the more kind of like, I almost want to call it mellow scenes like this and exorcist one. I don't know. What's your favorite kind of exorcism scene? I like more the aspect of the demonics energy at play when they're really fucking with people, making them see shit. In my experience, not nearly as tenured as John's, but whenever I watch these exorcism movies, the endings always seem to be pretty similar, right? It's always like the priest. Uh, it's literally like someone doing their own rendition of uh, William P. Blatty's Exorcist. Um, so for this one, uh, it was you know it was such a breath of fresh air in, in this genre that just feels kind of stale to me. I also don't really get into these movies that much because I don't believe in demons. You know what I mean? Like, I think these things are more impactful for people that tend to be religious. Um, I'm not saying John's religious in any form or fashion, but I feel like if you have faith of some degree watching these things, the, uh, the, the aspect of hell and demons and all that stuff can really ratchet up the fear that these kind of movies can produce. Oh, I definitely uh, agree with that. Uh, I think the reason I'm so into this is because I grew up Catholic, and uh, if there's anything Catholics know, is that the devil is real, and he's going to get you, and you're probably going to go to hell, and it's your fault. Uh, so be guilty about that. <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty sure of that, even though like, I don't believe that anymore. But you don't have to take my word for it. I don't believe in that anymore, but I'm sure it's in my like psyche, right? You can't grow up in that environment and not... I mean, I'm sure the... the practicing catholics would say that is not it but uh the church has gotten nicer in the last few years yeah it's in there it's in it's in your programming 
right? It's it's deep in there, so it still comes out from every time to time. Mm-hmm. See, I don't I don't know. I'm not religious, but I I find that stuff with demons and and like ancient spirits and monsters and stuff like that. I don't know. That stuff really resonate resonates with me because well, I don't you know believe in the like the religious aspect of it. You know, like it, I don't know. It, it just becomes so historical in its mythology that it 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 seems plausible. Not not like in the reality of it, like you know, but just in the in the the sense of the movie, I've never second guessed it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing I like about these films that makes them so kind of scary is that in like a slasher movie or whatever, you could be like, oh, those people are so dumb. I would never go into the forest or whatever. You can kind of like that would never happen to me. But in a lot of exorcism movies and in the real quote unquote exorcist, like if you believe in that in real life, the demons or the devil specifically go after good people because that's what they want to ruin they want to prove even the best humans can succumb to this so just living a good life or thinking you know there's no way to avoid being possessed you know and that i think is really scary too that it could just happen at any time to anybody uh randomly almost well, and the and the thing where like they can make the cop shoot herself in the head, or they can make Rory dump himself in the um, the snow mulcher. You know, like mm-hmm. like the fact that they they wield this like unearthly power that you just really cannot defend yourself with a slasher. You can be like, don't go in there. Oh, you idiot! Don't try to block the axe with your hand. You're a fucking idiot. You know, like with this, like what do you do? Like you're you're very defenseless against this stuff, and I think that's that's always way more scary for me because we don't know what the power set is of Surgot and they don't know that they've unleashed, they've opened a door to all these malevolent spirits and all this stuff has come in because as this final scene is going, all the spirits, all the like ghosts and stuff show up. Um, Oh, we didn't talk about one of the creepiest fucking ghosts. Uh, the, the trick or treater. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a scene where Audrey's at home alone. This is the first time she's seen the ghosts there's a knock at the front door and she opens it up and there's a little kid in a ghost sheet and has a little like, you know, pumpkin pail and it's like trick or treat. And she's like, this isn't funny. She's like trick or treat. And she's like, go away. Like, don't come back. This is not a joke. Trick or treat. She closes the door on it from the back door. She hears a knocking. She goes to the back door. It's that little kid. And we're talking like within a second um, of her closing the door. It's on the back door and it's like trick or treat trick-or-treat and she's like this is not funny starts freaking out closes the door looks over to her right it's outside another door right there um she runs up the stairs freaking out then this little ghost is inside the house this little kid ghost is inside the house and it's like trick-or-treat and she's like go away and shannon's like who are you yelling at then it goes in the elevator because they have like an elevator because their daughter was in a wheelchair and this little kid goes in the elevator and then when it gets to the top the ghost is the size of like a seven foot tall person under a sheet going trick or treat. And I'm just like, fuck this. I was, I almost had to turn it off at that point. I was like, I cannot deal with this nonsense. But also it goes back to the point of if anyone shows up at your door at any time of year and it's not Halloween and they say trick or treat and they've got a bucket, give them some goddamn candy. <laughs> like don't hesitate, just do it. 
you're just asking for trouble if you do not oblige this level of insanity. You're inviting tricks into your life. Give them candy. I want candy, bubblegum and taffy. <laughs> just do it, man. Like, it's so crazy that like, I mean, I get it. You may not have candy, but like, give them something. Give them a cookie. This is why I always have cookies in the house. You never know. Um, but anyway, yeah, I wanted to bring up that ghost because that was fucking scary. But so all these demons and ghosts are trying to, you know, as this ritual's going crazy, the pentagram on the floor is lighting up. Ian is like, it's working. I'm going to make this happen. Um, Audrey is next to Shannon on the bed. Who's now gotten her hand out. Shannon grabs Audrey, pulls her down and puts the glass up to her throat. And she's like, I'll kill her. If you don't let me out of here, Henry's like, Oh shit, I better let her out of here. Ian's like, don't you fucking do it. Cause Ian is like, we're seeing this demonic thing through He's full on like, this is what I've got to do. And he also made the uh, er earlier in the film before they started the ritual, he did make a comment to Henry is like, dude, if you hesitate in any form or fashion, we are all going to die here. Like this is all hinging on you being able to do this ritual of getting Jackson inside the baby. Yeah, good point. Right. The guy's name's like Sargoth, the defiler or whatever. How much defiling do you have to do for your name to be the defiler? Like, don't fuck around, Henry. Oh, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. You know, we know of uh, Harvey Weinstein as Harvey Weinstein, and we know what the shit he did. He's not Harvey Weinstein, the defiler. Yeah, he hasn't even gotten that nickname yet. So you've got to do a lot of defiling to basically get that nickname to stick. Vlad the Impaler. You know how much impaling Vlad had to do? So at least that much is what the defiler did. Henry, keep your shit together. So, yeah. So at this point, everything has just gone sideways. Um, it's gone egg-shaped. Henry is fighting with Ian. Shannon is fighting with Audrey. Shannon gets out of the cuffs because the key is dropped. Audrey gets up because Shannon didn't actually cut her throat. But Ian is like going to put a stop to this. Stabs Audrey right in the stomach with a big ass fucking knife and kills her. And Henry's like on the ground with with, um, with Audrey going like, oh, my God, you know, hang in. We'll get through this. All the demons are fully in play. They're all running around the room. Ian is trying to complete this process. Shannon manages to get out of the bed and um, is like up against the wall as Ian gets drug off by this like maniac in a straitjacket who like starts eating his face. And Ian is like, no, ah, and he gets pulled out the room at this point. Shannon's like up against the wall, like yelling at Henry, like, come on, let's go. And everything's still going crazy in the room. Right. And it's like things have gone buck wild because Audrey died completing the ritual. Right. Because all that had to happen is someone needed to die. So when Audrey died, she became the vessel. And now the devil or whatever is here and fucked Ian up. Audrey or sorry, Shannon is like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Um, and then, man, I think Henry gets the worst faith. Or fate. Oh, yeah. This is this right here. Like, I was like, oh, how are they going to play this out? So Shannon is leaving the house and she's like running and trying to get away from the ghost. She runs into Officer Bellows, who's like, I can help you. I can save you. She's like, nope. <laughs> Bam. Bellows blows her head off again. You know, just for one more like good measure. Um, and again, at that point, it's become almost comedic because you're like, holy shit, this is going to happen nonstop. I laughed when she did. I was like, come on, movie. Yeah, I, I did appreciate it. I did like that Shannon was not in like sometimes in these movies, man, 
like the characters are so dumb they're like oh yeah you can help me it's like dude it's a fucking demon nothing that this demon is gonna do is gonna be something you want done uh but shannon was like i got no time for this shit see you later and just kept going yep and we cut back to upstairs and at this point audrey's dead ian's gone henry is like starts contorting and like going ah and like falls to the floor and out of his back like ripping out of his back is like this creature and as shannon is downstairs getting into uh the car to drive off upstairs this giant demon and it wasn't surgot um but it's this like giant weird horned white hairy demon thing that was fully pregnant like, I don't know if you guys saw it, but like the, the demon was fully pregnant, um, starts walking to the door and you don't get to see it like in full like vision, but like it's, it's massive and it's crazy looking, um, starts walking to the door of the room. Shannon is downstairs in the car about to leave. She looks up through the back window up to the, uh, the room that she was in and she sees the ghost of Jackson in the window staring at her. And so at this point, I was like, oh, Jackson didn't make it into her stomach, you know, like isn't inside her unborn child. But then something in the window, something giant in the window picks Jackson up and takes him away, like picks him up and walks out of like the window frame. Um, So you can't see him anymore. And then Shannon's like, "Okay, fuck this. (laughs) Starts driving. She eventually sees something in the road. Like, I want to say maybe like 200 yards in front of her. And it is the giant demon thing. And it stops in the middle of the road. And we're talking way down the road, kind of dimly lit, but you can see that this thing is massive. And it's just standing there and it kind of turns and looks at Shannon in the the SUV. This right here, though, I was like, if this movie does this thing that I hate, if, if that demon covers that amount of ground in like a second and is up on that car, I was like, I will have to turn this off. Like, I could not deal with that. That's the one thing in horror movies that fucks me up more than anything. Um, But the demon looks at her and then kind of turns back and then walks into the woods off the edge of the road. Just talking about it has my hair standing on end. It was so fucking creepy. Man, I loved that ending. And then Shannon looks down at her stomach. She's full, still pregnant. Looks down at her stomach, kind of sighs. And then the movie ends. That's the end of the film. And... I've got questions like what, what was that final scene about? Yeah. I wasn't sure if this was Shannon haunted the rest of her life. I don't think so because she ended up really not being involved because, because Audrey died, she became the vessel. So I think Shannon, I mean, she's scot-free in the sense that the whole world is probably fucked because this demons out and about now free to, you know, do demon shit. But I don't think uh, uh, Shannon in particular is like any extra haunted than the rest of us are about to be. Hmm. Okay. I I think the movie implied that the baby is fine. Weird. See, I took the whole like the demon looked at her and was like, oh yeah, you're cool because you got a demon inside of you. You're good to go. And I thought she looked down like, oh shit, I'm tainted at this point. You know, like that's the way I took it. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it, the the ending definitely leaves it kind of sort of ambiguous to kind of leave it to your own devices on what you want to think happened. I can totally see that too, though. Like, it's an ambiguous ending. So I I definitely also see what y'all are saying. So, I mean, I'm not like saying, no, that's crazy. Uh, It definitely, I think, is 
intentionally ambiguous in that it could go either way. But yeah, it's open up for interpretation. So you, you're saying, and, and I kind of like this too, you're saying that the, because the doorway was opened and never closed, it's just going to leave open for more demonic activity to be coming into our realm, if you will. Well, I think the demons that came through will be here. I don't think any new demons can come because Audrey died and she was the doorway. But I think like Sargoth is free and or I assume that that big demon is Sargoth or whatever that big demon is. I mean, that thing is free to cause all kinds of demon trouble. Hmm. Which actually brings up a good point as far as demon goes, because that thing's a giant demon, but against a military, what, what's it going to do? <laughs> you know, like it, it's going to get them to all shoot themselves. <laughs> I mean, if it can, then cool. But like, you know, that's the thing is like, that's one thing that I always have a problem with was like, you know, like this is Sir God, the defiler, you know, like this is the end of all existence, blah, blah, blah. And then something comes out that's only like seven foot tall. And I'm like, eh, we got this, <laughs> you know, like I'm always like, well, I don't think it's meant to be physically imposing it. Like, it depends on the movie, but I think the idea is that this demon, it's like a beachhead now, and it is going to possess other things, and uh, or like in the Omen, it's going to take over the president and use the president to destroy the world. Um, ah, good point, good point. Okay. Spoiler, The apparently the Omen was a predictive movie. <laughs> bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. So what it does will be different, but I don't think the... Uh, the goal is like, oh, Sargoth himself is going to single-handedly, like, physically impose his will on the planet. Yeah, I mean, I think that those movies kind of set it up to, like, feel that way. But I think you're right. I think just having those those presences existing in our realm is enough to basically cause enough, like, you know, sheer horror and havoc. But I also think of, like, the end of the new Hellboy, where, like, the demons actually come out and it's, like, they're fucking world killers. And you're just like, holy shit, you know? Like, so to see this, like, again, I know budget and things like that, but this movie is fantastic. This was one of the few films that we've watched recently where I'm like, I would buy this instantly. And again, another instance where I'm like, I would buy this film right now from you, but I can't. Instead, I have to subscribe to a streaming service to be able to watch this film at this point. Agreed. This movie... Five stars uh, is awesome. This is a well, actually, for those who follow me on Letterboxd, I gave it four stars because of a couple of nitpicks, but point being, incredible movie. Highly recommend it. I gave it five out of five pentagrams. Ooh. I think one of my lingering questions that I have with this movie is surrounding the character of Jackson himself. If we're to believe that it is the actual boy Jackson and not some sort of demonic projection, why would Jackson be bumming around his grandparents' house? Why was he present? Why wouldn't he be in heaven? Because, you know, if you imply that we're using Satan and his wills to get this exorcism going, mm -hmm. then why would they have access to Jackson's soul? Let me ask a, a Catholic question of you, John. Isn't like the idea that the moment we're born, we're born with original sin? Like, aren't we always like, isn't that like a, a religious thing? Like we're born with sin automatically. So yes, but Jackson is old enough. He would have been baptized. So that's the point of baptism. Is it? clears your original sin i have never been baptized yeah i guess assuming he was baptized right that is a big point but technically if you 
are a baby and you die unbaptized, you go to purgatory in Catholic mythology. Well, maybe that's where Jackson is. Maybe he's in purgatory with all these you know, malevolent spirits and he sees his grandparents trying to find a way and he's like, oh shit, Grammy and Grampy are on it. I'm going to I'm gonna kick it over here just in case they find that they break this code wide open. Ah, but see, you're not supposed to be able to leave purgatory that's the yeah purgatory is not earth yeah it's not like you're just bumming around the circle k like <laughs> waiting to get into heaven you know strange things are afoot at the circle k mark <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird like man i don't know how into purgatory we want to get but theoretically if you're an adult and you die you're tortured until you burn away enough of your your sins that you can go to heaven or if you're like an infant or someone who's never heard of Jesus or had the opportunity, you are suffered in purgatory for all eternity. But your main punishment is you don't get to bask in the glory of God. So I don't know how much of a punishment that is. What the fuck? Are you serious? That is messed up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's right, though. That's... Are you too young to have basically been brainwashed by this shit? Guess what? You're fucked. Deal with it. Well, in the ancient days, like in early Christian mythology, they were even more hardcore. Babies just went to hell. And if also, if you were, if you never heard of Jesus, hell, born before Jesus, hell. Uh, So they were even... Talking in class, that's a paddling. Yeah, straight to hell. (laughs) God and Jesus have had a real makeover over the years, that's for sure. But yeah, that was just one of the things I was curious about, like was watching, I was like, okay, I mean... That's also kind of the, the thing with these these type of movies, too, is like if if we could just grab people's souls from purgatory or heaven, then people would be dropping out of the afterlife left and right for any grandma and grandpa that saw fit to bring someone back from the dead. Yeah. And I don't know if like uh, the old uh, pearly gates would be too keen on that. It would have made more sense if the mom was still there with Jackson. All right. Because maybe the idea of ghosts, right, is that you feel like you're undone or there's a really strong emotional attachment or whatever so maybe like the mom kept jackson from ascending but just toddler jackson i don't know it doesn't make sense yeah yeah and they actually in the movie did uh show that the mom lived after the car accident that killed jackson but she was like paralyzed from the waist down and she was completely just like not catatonic but just completely like ruined and disconnected and she just couldn't ever get over this and she ended up taking a header down the elevator shaft and took her life because she just couldn't deal with the the grief and the loss of of jackson i think it would have been an interesting plot line to have uh before she goes like have the mom put the idea into the grandmother's head of you know like bring him back you know and then she sacrifices herself to bring jackson at least to a place where he could be resurrected. But again, that's really complicated. And I don't think they had that kind of time in the movie. But what if they could have uh, they could have injected just a little bit of acknowledgement, maybe that like Jackson is still attached to this realm, you know, like maybe he did stick around and not want to go off into the afterlife. Therefore, we need to get a plan to get him back for real, not just his spirit lingering. Like, I think they could have added that in. But how much would that have changed the movie's overall feel i wonder yeah that goes back kind of to my point of i don't think this was really jackson this was the demon giving the uh, audrey and uh, henry what they wanted to see to serve the demon's purposes okay well audience what do you think the ending was all about and do you think jackson was really jackson or was he a demon 
manifestation. Do you think that you should keep candy on hand just in case trick-or-treaters show up at any time of the year? Do you think it's unsafe to stick your head in a snow plow? Do you think that if your house is haunted with ghosts, you should burn that shit down and leave? Let us know on our social media at the www.gravetalk.com or our Instagram or our Facebook or our Twitter or any other places fine Grave Talk products are sold. I Mark, I kind of did your thing for you. I don't know if I did it good or not, but Perfectly fine. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three recommendations from us and uh, a good outro for Garrett. So we'll, we'll leave that there and um, we'll be back next year, I guess. 2021. So this is our final episode of 2020. We've made it three years as a podcast. We'll try to bring you some more interesting and fun episodes in 2021. And hopefully we can all go outside and do this in person someday. Dude, we should do a live show. We'll have like two people in the crowd. It'd be worth it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who are you guys again? Can you leave the food court? We've got a party coming in <laughs> in a half hour. Sir, please get off the stage. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. She floated home in fried wide-eyed amazement. She shared the afterlife with other ghouls on rock-hard pavement. She wished the world was kinder still. She had nothing but time to kill. Crappy-